you can't keep preaching without practicing so if you believe in something demonstrate document share and don't criticize don't judge i think that is the most important um, aspect because once you start criticizing you've lost a critical mass um you know how would you you actually show somebody by your actions things have changed and and for somebody else to look at it and say okay let me also give it a try Hello and welcome to the Plant Paradigm Podcast, where we have inspiring conversations with amazing individuals from all around the world and look for ways to create a clean, green and sustainable future for us, the planet and all beings. I'm your host, Tom Simak, a fellow plant eater and athlete here to facilitate those impactful conversations. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to leave a note for anyone not following us on Instagram at plant.paradigm. Just go ahead and do that. There's some incredible information that goes up on there. And if these hour-long conversations are a bit too much to bear, I do post a lot of the highlights on Instagram and TikTok while, while you're there. With that being said, let's get into who you heard earlier on. That's Pinky Chandran. Pinky is an independent researcher, author, and a community journalist. She tracks policy and legal developments on issues related to waste management. She's the founding member of the Solid Waste Management Roundtable and a trustee at Hasirudala. She's also a board member of Seeking Modern Applications for Real Transformation, an NGO that runs Radio Miwat. This exchange touches on waste, recycling protocols, community, and creating a greener future. What I really loved about this conversation is learning how a community can work together to create a clean environment. Bangalore is a place I didn't know much about, but something we'll be talking a lot about and and hopefully you do learn as much as I did during this this episode, especially regarding their waste systems. And coming out of this, I would say that they're doing so much right. But with that being said, I hope you enjoy this conversation between Pinky and I. Pinky, welcome to the Plant Paradigm Podcast. How are you going? Good. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Um, look, I usually like to set the stage early on, and I'm going to ask you to debrief us on who exactly is Pinky and what are you currently doing? Okay. Who is Pinky? Well, that's a difficult question to answer. Always. But uh, having said that, I am like, I'm I'm actually a, a dog lover and I enjoy writing poetry uh, especially anything with garbage or or dogs <laughs> and right now my current pet passion is stormwater drains and so um I've been tracking stormwater drains trying to understand our relationship uh, with drains and garbage and so so poetry just normally flows <laughs> But that apart, I've been a broadcast journalist. I co-founded um, a, a community radio station way back in 2007. And um, writing has always been my passion. So, uh, I mean, I fell in love with waste as, as part of my journey with the community radio movement. And I've never looked back since then. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. And just before we move on, people might have heard a dog bark or so. Uh, we'll set the stage that we, we do have companion, companion animals in the house. What's your dog's name? Maya. 
Maya. Awesome. So Maya will be joining us for this conversation. It's totally fine. We love having a third person along. Um, so there's so many cool ways we could take this, but this stormwater drain stuff, so that's really fascinating. How does that impact human beings or even the environment? Where do you kind of sit with that? So, um, so see, stormwater drains uh, in Bangalore, I, I, I'm, I'm not able to recollect how it is in Melbourne, but in Bangalore, stormwater drains are part of our urban infrastructure, very visible, very open, but yet we invisibilize them. We only recollect or remember them only when there is rain, which means floods, and that's when it comes into focus. Otherwise, it's just silently sitting in. Um, I think at one point in time, even though I was, I've been involved in garbage uh, issues for so long, um, and I used to pass the stormwater drain, which was on my route to uh, work at home. And one one day, I actually chanced upon uh, the stormwater drain when I just when I was driving by, and I looked at the uh, stormwater drain bed, and it was full of plastic. It was completely full of plastic, and. I couldn't just do anything but just stop and stare at it. I pulled over. I, um, you know, made my way to the drain. I just stood there straight, uh, you know, and I'll uh, love to share a poetry later on. But that is what it, it tugged me. But at that point in time, like always, there's other pressing priorities and you don't really uh, go back to it, even though it haunts you at times. So uh, last year I applied for a small project grant and I really wanted to because right now in Bangalore there is um, a project going on which is called the Citizens Waterway Project which uh, basically uh, is um, uh, in a in a way in reimagining the stormwater drain to make it more like a public space and um, and so I decided that I would look at that particular stretch of drain and look at look at what is the interplay with garbage and the drains why is and especially because the drains have so much of plastic in it so much of plastic items floating i mean right from dustbins your helmet um uh, you know plastic bags you have mattresses some of them throw uh, there's chair we found so many small small items that that it really i mean i mean we are so used to listening about uh, plastic in the oceans or plastic in the rivers but stormwater drains and plastic was it's it's not a very um glamorous topic to talk about and so it just gets <laughs> it's not as majestic as the ocean so somewhere i mm. think um, in our conversations or in our advocacy work it it always tends to be hidden and and that's the reason why I looked at this particular project. Yeah, well, what really comes to mind when I'm hearing that is when we look at like, well, you mentioned the, the plastics and, and got microplastics in the ocean, we can look and now we know that a lot of it comes from river systems. So when you're saying these stormwater drains, I'm, I'm thinking that that is a very big origin point to something that could eventually end up in the oceans. Yes. Yes, and absolutely. this is coming from where? Like, are you thinking like it falls out from like um, trash uh, trucks, or are you saying people just littering, or just a mix of everything? It's a mix of everything. Um, one is, uh, I mean, Bangalore has always been known as a city of lakes, and um, and and so we had this 
beautiful um, man-made structures, which which were earlier called tanks, but I think now it's been accorded the status of lakes. And because Bangalore is on a ridge, on a on a plateau, so we don't have a river originating in the city. So um, so and so because the way uh, the way Bangalore is um, uh, you know where it is located, mm-hmm. it needed water sources. And so the um, uh, you know the in the uh, in in the past the um, the way it was designed to act the lakes added like a feeder system to make sure that Bangalore was perennially uh, uh, you know we, we didn't face water scarcity. But now what has happened? A lot of land mafia have grabbed the lands and uh, you know the lake properties have disappeared. But but we still have the feeder network which is a stormwater drain which ultimately drains into the lake and from the lake it would drain into the river. So like you rightly said, so it is a very essential part of, um, uh, you know, the entire network per se, the entire ecology per se. And it's an important thing because it is, I mean, the the very word it means that you need to capture stormwater, uh, you know, and, and but mm. with, with the way things are, with the way we have concretized things, the runoff is not being able to go directly in it because there are multiple things. There's sewage, there's garbage, and the garbage, uh, the reasons for garbage is either poor collection system or it could be uh, people don't have access to give away their garbage. So so the dumping is a natural, this thing. But it could also be garbage trucks and, and the way they are based and it's spilling over. So there are... Uh, multiple reasons or if there is a high-rise building or if there is any building and it's easy to throw then easy to so yes oh, that would if things. i saw someone in a building in a high-rise building throw some litter i, I would my heart would break picky <laughs> let me tell you but that's a really fascinating point the the fact that facilities um well waste management and waste facilities is a, is a huge topic. And the more I personally learn about this plastic crisis and waste crisis we have going on, the more I realize, you know, like you've been to Melbourne, you've been to Sydney, and if we live in a, um, I'm going to say a more Western city, a metropolitan city, we have bins located every few meters. And what's the state of the waste system? Like, are there accessible bins? Is there um, a good waste management system. Look, why are people throwing stuff off? Do they not have any other option some of these times? Okay, so um, see, Bangalore, for instance, has been a, uh, has been very, very active in the waste management space, and I can trace this back way back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, when there were residents who got together to implement a three-way segregation. They also came up with this whole concept of a dry waste collection center in the neighborhood. But um, but all said and done, these were in localities where people actually already had a voice and a political agency. And they were also, um, uh, you know, well networked. They were conscious about uh, the environment. So they were they were lit- environment literates, for, mm-hmm. so to speak. But they also were able to do things. And then cut back, things change, the government's changed and all that. And in 2009, when, when I got involved, um, we, we formed a group called the Solid Waste Management Roundtable. But it all started, it, start, it became about, we formed it in October 2009. But uh, the starting point was in uh, 2000, 
uh, in in 2009 itself in august and um, my colleague miriam shankar who is a german resident but residing in and has decided to make bangalore her home came up with this ambitious plan to clean up bangalore so she said wow. um, yeah she said 15th august uh, let's do like a massive clean up drive and rid bangalore of of its garbage problem and uh, i was at that time with the radio station and and uh, she needed help in mobilizing communities and so we got together to mobilize communities and we managed to get about 4500 people to come in for that particular day to clean up drive, for that clean up drive That's and uh, we were we were very very happy and thrilled at the results but the next day i was hosting a puppy adoption camp for street puppies uh, in kabban park which is one of one of um, Bangalore's most iconic destination in terms of a park and i realized that the garbage was back so i called up miriam and i'm like miriam there's something wrong i mean we cleaned up yesterday and the garbage is back and then she's like yes i i realized that uh, i said we need to do something and she's like you're right but let's do a smaller clean up drive in september and then look uh, then see what else we should be doing so we did the smaller clean up drive with about 200 people and it was the same the day we cleaned up the streets were fabulous and then the next day it's back to square one so uh, there were two problems with it you can clean up how much ever you want but if you don't address the root cause which is you know making segregation of waste at source work it's not going to solve the problem and the second one is once you've collected all this all this material that you've cleaned up where are you going to dump you're not going to be dumping it in the city center you'll obviously want to pollute a land which is far away from your house because again it's like don't see don't tell <laughs> not in my backyard mentality mm-hmm. so that's how we started reaching out to different groups in the city who were working in their own individual capacity or organizational capacity trying to get this whole uh, concept implemented on um, uh, you know making three way segregation documenting their success work, uh, you know documenting their challenges And, and also data management and on keeping a track of what was the wet waste generated what was the dry waste generated what was the uh, you know sanitary hazardous waste generated so that was so that's how we got together and started working on it and uh, we have been made, we have managed to make uh, a huge difference and uh, it all i mean this whole advocacy also went into the uh, karnataka high court who also then um, you know made sure that that we follow segregation of waste at source and then we had this whole ruling that came about the the solid waste management rules in came about in 2016 which also talked about it so we have this whole system we have we have this on paper but in uh, reality when you look at a place like bangalore what needs to happen is enforcement and you implement these laws now in some places like i said where you are conscious where you have a voice and agency it's very easy to work this out if you stay in a multi dwelling unit it's a law you have to manage your waste but what happens when you stay in a slum or when you are in an informal settlement or you are in a neighborhood which has been traditionally um, ignored um, and you don't really have uh, you ca- or you're not able to demand that kind of service delivery that that oh um a slightly higher income neighborhood or well connected neighborhood would get it so that's where the problem lies that's that's that firstly that's that's all incredible you know it's 
to kind of bring this back, in preparation for this episode, I was really surprised about a few things about Bangalore and to the point to what you were saying, it seems like such a um, plastic conscious city Um, and I would potentially even put it above Melbourne in some aspects, which is really fascinating because people picture India and for those who visited, especially those metropolitan cities, not what you would, I think, generally think. So what I really want, so you said your friend is a German resident or was a previous German. I find that fascinating that she came with that topic because in a lot of cities in Germany, and you might be familiar with this program, but they have this system where you can pick up uh, plastic, aluminum, um, different recyclable materials and you can take it to this hub and that hub will literally spit out money depending on how much waste you put in. Have you thought about how this could be implemented into a city in India such as Bangalore? So, um, okay, so here uh, this is, so what happened is I have to just take you back to this particular question because while we, um, uh, you know, went ahead and formed the group Solid Waste Management Roundtable and we were talking about this whole concept of a dry waste collection center, which can be in every neighborhood uh, or ward. I mean, that's the administrative unit of how it is structured in Bangalore. And um, so this discussion started in, in, in late 2009, early 2010. And in March 2010, um, I met another colleague, uh, Nalini Shekhar, who um, was in Pune. Uh, and she was the one who co-founded uh, this organization called um, Swach or Kashtakari Kagat Panchayat (KKPKP), and uh, and and they are uh, and they work with waste pickers. So um, so when she came in for the to the meeting, she was very warm, very receptive, you know, smiling and 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 you know and and the likes. And as the meeting progressed, I could see her lean back. She crossed her arms. She kept shaking her head and she was like, you know, something she kept mumbling. And I'm like, what happened to her? Why is she suddenly turning so negative? So we finished the meeting and she stepped out, I think, to take a call or something. And I ran behind her and I'm like, Nalini, what happened? And she's like, um, I'm like, were you unhappy? Did we offend you? What happened? Why were you so uh, negative at the, at the, in the meeting? And then she's like, how can you people even talk about waste without waste pickers? And that was a huge moment of truth because like I was saying, I was telling you about stormwater drinks being invisibilized. We just realized that we have invisibilized a huge uh, community who actually offer, uh, who actually subsidize the municipality for their waste collection. And, um, and, and that's, the, you know, that's when we started becoming more active and started looking at where the waste pickers reside. How do you mobilize them? Because, they obviously, um, uh, you know, have been inherently discriminated or have had, um, uh, you know, no social security benefits. And, and but they were subsidizing the municipality. So that's how we started Hasrudala. But I mean, uh, she started the work organizing and everything. And I joined in uh, with them as a volunteer and then later on as a trustee. Uh, in 2013 is when we registered. But what we realized is that because... Um, if we want to go to the next level, then we need to really empower waste pickers to become waste managers and be able to offer these kind of services to all the communities. So, so that way their livelihood is also protected. 
So when you talk about cash uh, component, what happens is you're taking away their livelihood for in a country like India, uh, you know, where, they, where, I mean, the World Bank said that at least one to two percent of um, of the urban population make their living out of waste in developing countries. And um, in 2013 itself, uh, because we had already started registering waste because we had um, we had approached the court, uh, the the Lok Adalat, which is a people's court, and uh, and 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 so they also recognized and they directed the municipality to give them occupational ID, identity cards because most waste pickers didn't even have basic ID documents. So there is no question of they being able to access bank accounts or any of that sort. So um, once the occupational ID cards uh, came about, then they had a lot of other benefits, like their harassment stopped. Um, so, you know, the police could not pick them up and things like that. So that worked. So so then the next step is how else do you integrate them? So, so when we did the survey and um, we had about a database of about 4,125 4, waste pickers and uh, we looked at what they were collecting and what they were saving the municipality and we realized for one year they were saving the municipality 23 crores so this is 23 crores um in uh, how do i convert that into millions but anyway uh, so, so that is a huge amount of saving from a budget which is about at that time the budget was about 300 400 crores so 23 crores is a huge saving and how exactly were they saving the municipality money? Because they were retrieving money, they were retrieving the dry waste, which would otherwise have ended up into the landfill. But and so, so, so what we realized that when the municipality um, earmarks budget for waste, they, the the component is split between um, uh, you know transport, collection, equipment, and things like that. But fifty percent of the budget was going into transportation which means you take all the waste from here and you go about 40, 50 kilometers out of the city. And from there, if the waste pickers are there, they pick it up and then again come back to the city. So you're looking at the the, the amount of transportation that mm. is happening. So, But the waste market is right in the city. The waste trading market is right in the city. So if you have these neighborhood places and if you collect it at source from a particular neighborhood and this whole dry waste goes into uh, you know the waste picker get access to it. You you can the municipality can achieve break even in that particular. Uh, it's a one time investment if you collect the set up the dry waste collection centers, right? And and the ONM cost will always be with the waste pickers because they are skilled, they understand the business, they understand the material, and you're not dumping it elsewhere. So uh, so so we looked at what was the municipality paying the landfill owners as a tipping fee. And if you subtract that by the amount that is not going to the landfill, you automatically get that figure of how much they're saving the municipality. Fascinating. So what you're saying, if I've understood this correctly, is like I, I would, I'd be very curious firstly to find out, like for example, that recycling initiative that's starting in Melbourne and, and a few nations have or, or cities have adopted this, have their jobs or the jobs of these um, waste pickers, as you say, have they been affected? I'd be very curious to find out. But what you're explaining here is, from what I understand, like a communal um, communal rubbish area, I suppose, where the community members take all their rubbish, they 
are they are you asking them to separate it in two or however that looks and then the waste picker comes and they take all that and then they organize it further and then they get extra money and then that money again can be funneled back into the community for a, like a local economy no so the way it works is when we um, advocated for the system we um, came up uh, with this concept i mean we i mean there were a lot of other volunteers who pitched in uh, and came out with this whole concept of a two bin one bag system so a two bin one bag system works in in this way so you have the green bin which is for your wet waste your kitchen waste then you have the red bin which is for your sanitary waste or your domestic hazardous waste but again in sanitary waste you have to wrap your sanitary waste in a newspaper marked with an x with a red x so you know automatically that that is sanitary waste and for your dry waste you have this 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 um this um a canvas kind of a bag where you can put all your dry waste because dry waste is normally bulky so what we what when we when we started talking about and building awareness it was that you you clean your rinse your sauce bottles rinse your beer bottles uh, rinse your masala packet or your pickles and jars and everything and put it in or your milk packets and we still have we have the concept of milk packets there i know you have those jars but then here it is milk packets so we rinse all of that and keep it in in that particular bag and then we said that it's important for the municipality to look at separate collections uh, wet and sanitary can be daily but dry waste can be twice a week or thrice a week depending on how it works now because the government had already started constructing dry waste collection center we said the dry waste collection centers need to be run by the waste pickers the center the land the um, you know identifying the land and constructing everything including providing bailing machine and and weighing machine and the toilet and whatever has to be the municipality's responsibility the waste picker as an operator will run it so initially there were two systems buy back and take back so which means if somebody wanted to go and give their dry waste to the centers they could go and give it and then they could be paid depending if it is high value but it is uh, um, but what happened is once the uh, system was established so there was there were these people who would collect the waste and they would uh, the municipal workers would collect the waste separately Uh, wet separate and dry separate and give the dry waste weigh the dry waste and give it to the center so so the running of the center was the responsibility of the operator which is the waste picker but that is again not going to be 100% sustainable because most of the material that come in if you look at it as well is also a uh, low value waste so you can you will find like your lace packets or your chips packets or no or your chocolate wrappers or all multi-layered packages so you obviously you don't have a value for it and there are a lot of other low value plastic bags and things like that so so in order to do that you do need some kind of a support whether it is in industry supporting or if it's a non governmental organization supporting but they could become like a resource organization who look after the data who look after the basic um, administration including doing some kind of an um you know iec building activities or a community engagement activities and things like that so that was the concept that it worked with so um so that way the livelihood of the waste pickers 
so the waste pickers then have an opportunity to go from being a waste picker to being a waste manager so it's just the hierarchy that you know how much i i really do enjoy the fact that this is you, you're not leaving them high and dry like i think if we were to just talk about the environment for a second like a lot of people say oh we need a you know ditch coal is like the big thing that's kind of going around and we don't we're not here saying coal workers just they're going to be jobless we're saying you know retrain them give those skills can go to renewable energy and i love that you've adopted that in a physical sense you're saying no we still need these people they're part of an important um important cycle in in our community and they give back a lot which is which is awesome now something you mentioned there in in what you were saying is about rinsing the waste this is a huge problem i i think in australia i wonder if india is the same if you don't rinse it it's they have to do it and if they're too lazy to do it they're just going to bin it and then it's just landfill even though there was possibility to recycle it are people on the ground in your opinion actually following this kind of you have to rinse it out or do the waste pickers rinse that out themselves if someone hasn't rinsed that so um again there is there is mixed group there are some groups who take recycling etiquette very very seriously but um uh, like for instance if you um are on instagram and you happen to uh, check out mansoor who is a waste picker who is very active on instagram he uh, normally shares videos and photographs of the driveways collection center from his driveways collection center and um, like for instance takeaways people order takeaway but you will still find uh, liquid or gravy or sauce in it and often what happens is people would uh, close it and because the collection is twice a day or thrice a day it goes into your bag and it comes into the center when you open it you'll be surprised to find not just the smell but also worms and you know flies and things like that and it's and it's and it's terrible but yes what i mean what most of the time this because end up then putting it out and and you know removing all the uh, food out of it and then uh, rinsing or whatever if it's really bad because certain plastics are again good plastic in the sense um, valuable plastic when in terms of the monetary aspect so obviously they need to salvage it otherwise when they further trade it the uh, uh, the, the aggregator or the trader is going to minus the money and give it to him because it's soiled it's contaminated which means he then will have to then do spend extra money in actually cleaning or whatever the product so so if, so like that so most of the times um pizza pizza boxes or cake boxes for instance cake boxes normally come reach the um uh, you know centers with ants in it you know the the black ants yummy <laughs> yeah so um but if you if you were to go across some of the recycling hubs like i have been doing a lot of tours around recycling hubs in in india and you will find in some places milk packets kept out you know in the sun to dry because it's not rinsed it's smelly you need to have it a little bit you know you need to dry it but then milk packets first they go in through a different process that they go into washing process then they go into removing the inks and things like that but yes but most often people do tend to do a little bit of extra work 
Mm. So well, there's nothing I, I, that I'm glad. Is. Sorry, what was that? No, I said it won't directly be binned. They, you will try. I mean, most of them will try and salvage whatever they can. Oh, well, I'm so glad to hear that. Something I find fascinating in your wording is that you're saying, well, when we're looking at the monetary way, you're saying like medium value, high value, low value. Now, this low value stuff you've described as like your chocolate wrappers, plastic bags, we're generally talking about single use plastic, I'm assuming at this level. Now, in my research over the past year or two, I've come across that India in general is actually on a mission to phase out single use plastics. Now, when we're talking about the waste pickers, they obviously have direct benefit from this plan because when we're looking at what they have to sort through, number one, it's less, so it requires less time, but two, it's higher value stuff. What is your thought and and could you give, are you believing this phase out of single-use plastics? I know a lot of countries promise this but never come through. Where do you stand on all of this? Okay, so... uh... In uh, so Bangalore is located in Karnataka, and um, in 2000, late 2015, um, there was a huge movement from citizens to phase out single use plastic. And so, the government of Karnataka then passed, um, uh, you know, an order which said X items are banned in Karnataka. And soon enough, there were different states in India like Maharashtra and all of these that followed suit and they also came out with single-use plastic bags. Then, um, you know what happened when, when the Prime Minister uh, on, on World Environment Day 2018, he announced that India would make that resilience. And then the centre started acting and uh, they set up a committee and they decided which items would be phased out and, and our first part of the ban is going to be um, uh, you know, taking place in July because there are certain items that are that are being proposed to ban. But if I look back at the experiences that Karnataka, I mean, Bangalore had not so much Karnataka. Bangalore was very active with its implementation. There was there was a lot of awareness around. You know, if you look at many posts, there would be like, "Oh, Christmas is coming. Now we don't need the glittery stuff. Uh, you know, we can look at alternative stuff." Oh, this festival is coming. Now, this festival uses so much of uh, uh, thermocol. How else can we stop using this? So there were, you know, citizens actually doing the research, experimenting and coming out. And so it became like a norm. And it said, okay, now we don't need, why do we drink tender coconut with a straw? You know, tender coconut in India was traditionally drunk just directly. So why do we need a straw? Then people said, okay, then maybe look at... um, um, uh, you know, steel straws. If you, if you, if you, uh, not everybody can drink it. You have to be inclusive. If there are certain communities, obviously, who would need a straw, uh, like people with disabilities or senior citizens who really can't drink it. Like that. So you need to be inclusive. So what are the alternatives? So you don't look at a ban without thinking of alternatives, and you don't t- look at a ban without thinking of who it is going to affect. So with waste pickers, the question that you asked when, so we were at that point in time. I had actually um, hosted an exhibition on uh, a photo exhibition on my tour and on on uh, the plastic recycling hub in Bangalore, which is in Nine Delhi, and we had a panel discussion. And we had uh, this um, in the panel discussion. We had all the recyclers who were part of the di- of the discussion, and this was a question that was posed in the audience: like, 
will not the ban affect you because your livelihood is dependent on plastic and and they said um, if you look at what our work is uh, i mean based on our work we are actually a silent environmentalist and if we are silent environmentalist would we put money over the cost of uh, at the cost of environment absolutely not so um, in the past when they were in waste picking plastic was a new thing and at at that time pet bottles didn't have a, a value and then now it has a value so there will be opportunities for the waste pickers to look at other ways to you know look at livelihood options than harming the environment and that was the answer that was that was given by um, uh, you know the recyclers from nine delhi and i thought i mean that was like um, in a way very perceptive but again having said that there is uh, this organization called chintan in uh, new delhi uh, it's one of the oldest organizations uh, working with waste pickers and they have just released a report says plan the ban so where they have actually studied four cities and they've looked at the cost element of different plastic items and how it is going to affect the waste pickers uh, if it is uh, if if it is implemented but uh, if you look at the items that are proposed to be banned it's i mean it's uh, it's straws the value is low uh, you know what what we really need to be looking at is right now multi layered plastics uh, multi material plastic have no value have no value they are harder to pick they are harder to sort grade whatever you know bale they take up too much space in the truck for transportation as well and where are they going they are going to cement cleans but two cement cleans also it's the waste pickers who are putting in that effort for collection but they are not being compensated so um i think you need to look at it uh, so one is the companies need definitely need to uh, you know redesign that whole system and even now i see an opportunity for waste pickers if refilling rio system pick up they will be the best place to run it you know so you sound is- like you believe that this will actually go ahead like we will actually <laughs> start to phase out which i i'm so so i'm getting that from you that you think this is going to happen when when is this happening especially no, for no, bangalore which sounds like a very plastic um i guess conscious city like you guys are already starting to make that change you're conscious about it you're ready for something new a new system okay uh <laughs> um well i am not sure i mean am i uh, sounding too optimistic i don't know <laughs> because like i said we have fantastic uh, rules on paper it's the implementation and enforcement that takes a back seat so that is where we need to get at but having said that um uh, yes bangalore per se has always been a very conscious uh, city and uh, in the past like once waste pickers came on board there has been a lot of attempts made by citizens especially to include them in in most of their uh, dealings with but now uh, like yesterday was world refill day and uh, but if you look at the papers there was not much carried about i mean there was nothing much uh, talked about in terms of refill so while refill is an important aspect i still think we really need to galvanize more community and demand for refill systems which is definitely going to take some time but um, with plastics if i give you example of bangalore from 2016 to 2020 uh, to 2020 before the pandemic 
it looked like we were on the right track to addressing single use plastic ban but after the pandemic everything changed uh, the priorities of citizens government was obviously different because most of them were affected with the covid covid and plastic has made a huge comeback so we are back to square one right now we have to go back and so if the institution is weak or the systems are weak obviously will this will be a recurring challenge so there has to be something that has to be done systemically and not just on paper but also in operations and and so i don't know i mean so i may sounded or may have sounded optimistic but yes we do have a long way to go but yeah I, we need that optimism around <laughs> and and look you you quite knowledge about knowledgeable about bangalore and what you guys are doing what can the rest of the world or maybe even the rest of india in that region what can they learn from bangalore uh i think um what i mean i think in some aspects we are very lucky in bangalore because we have such an open culture of active civic engagement where mm. citizens absolutely engage and the government listens and and they engage with us as well and it's not just for waste management it's across it, it could be lakes it could be mobility um, you know it could be um, so many other civic based uh, aspects and we've always had that kind of good rapport with the uh, you know we've enjoyed that whole dialoguing system which may not be have been many many places it might not have been very successful but i think and also we have this open culture even though we have xyz groups working on different aspects there is somewhere that there is a coming together and that collective mechanism to ask for something that you really believe in or is is going to the thing it will help so i think what we need to do i mean what other cities or other countries also if you're looking at this space is to build that active community engagement which has to be ground up which shouldn't which which should have a charter point what is the five non negotiables for this particular group and then you move upward and i think that's the and then demonstrate you can't keep preaching without practicing so if you believe in something demonstrate document share and don't criticize don't judge i think that is the most important um, aspect because once you start criticizing you've lost a critical mass um you know how would you you actually show somebody by your actions things have changed and and for somebody else to look at it and say okay let me also give it a try um mm. and i think and also that whole uh, you know concept of nurturing like you don't but this is not the right way to do it but that whole thing has to come together and then obviously approach the government make the case read up about the laws see where we are lacking you know those kind of things also come into play so i think building a conscious community is the first step to doing whatever you want to do and probably one of the hardest um because it, it's not like a it's it's not simple it's so gray and it takes hard work and that's why it's a solution that will be sustainable over 5 10 20 50 years and beyond because that foundation has been set of of community and you know we're all about sustainability here um and and just around the plastic which, which i mean i'm going to ask a bit of a gray question there's certain people 
around the world that don't want us to start to cling away from plastic. You know, India is very similar as a country to Australia in that it relies heavily on exports and productions of certain compounds such as fossil fuels and and plastics. So you're coming against this industry. Have you noticed any pushback within, let's say, Bangalore from industry saying, no, we don't want this to happen or or any kind of intervenance that they've they've come into you guys? Um, maybe not directly, but um, I can tell you in 2016 when we had the plastic waste management rules, uh, it was there was one which one clause which was very very progressive, which basically stated uh, in in by I mean the rules were declared in 2016. So at the end of two years. That is by 2018, uh, items which cannot be recycled had to be phased out. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, wow, this is so progressive and we're so happy and all that. And 2018 deadline approached and there was, a, there was an amendment to the rule which basically stated items which cannot be recycled or energy recoverable need to be phased out. So there you go. Um, there is definitely a silent lobby, maybe not in your face, but it happened. And and that was heartbreaking for most of us because I understand. See, I understand I'm a practical person. I understand that two years might not be a um, realistic timeline uh, to look at a complete phase out without having an alternate product to, to package your biscuit wrappers or whatever. But there has to be certain things in place so that you give them those targets and you, you, you know, and, and ensure that the industry invest in product design, invest in that science of recreating um, and all, or look at what evaluating alternative, you know, materials. So all that needed to be, all that needs to happen, but you can't sit on it for two years and, and, and not even show progress of what you have done. That is that was really upsetting, and it's yeah, I can imagine. Oh, well, what what do they mean? Can't be it has to, has to be energy recoverable. Where are they sitting at with how that would even look? Energy recoverable could be cement cleanse, it could be incineration. How are they recovering that energy? I don't understand. It's like to, to create this plastic, we have to extract. Um, the fossil fuel, we create then these pallets that are turned into this plastic product and then you incinerate and that CO2 just goes in the air. It doesn't get, re- that's that's so confusing. I don't understand, Pinky. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a difficult because then after that, there was this huge guidelines of which plastic goes into cement cleans, what should be the, what should be it, because it was also being touted as an alternative, right? It's mm-hmm. an alternative uh, fuel feedstock intake. So, so yeah, so that was disappointing. So, yes, maybe in other countries the lobby is very upfront. But in India, we've not had uh, – I think the focus has always been on waste and plastic that we've not really looked at the production aspect of it. Mm, that's think, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we've talked about what Bangalore has done really well. Now – we can't say or sit here for a moment without admitting that there is a long way to go. 
Um, not just for Bangalore, for everyone in the world. We are not even halfway through this race. What do you expect? What's the next step for Bangalore, India, or, or wherever you'd like this to go to achieving a greener and cleaner community? Okay. I think one is that given that COVID has set us back again uh, by two years now to to accounting, um, we have to go back to the drawing board and we have to go back into re-looking at things, uh, conducting, I mean, you know, having data, proper data on board. I think data management is one of the huge, uh, one of the biggest uh, missing elements in this whole chain. And I think without proper data capture, we'll always be shooting for the stars. So um, that's something that we really need to get in order. But um, yes, uh, I think we need to go back and, and rework and build that whole connections again, evaluate where our uh, systems are failing, if there is something changing, why is it changing? I mean, we need to be asking these questions more actively and, and engaging on the ground more um, effectively is what I think. Um, but uh, And build more awareness. We need to bring back the conversations around plastic even more strongly. And I know that, June, uh, if you look at most of the social media, there was a lot of thing about plastic. The government actually has also, like in India, the government has finally made an attempt and started and has just created an online uh, portal to uh, track because we've had a new uh, extended producer responsibility rules released. And so they have they have an online portal right now where the producers are supposed to put in the figures of how much they are uh, generating and how much they are recycling. So that's a start. But we have to see how much, I mean, we need to be able to see how much of it is publicly accessible and we need to mm. see what are they doing and how are they working and that needs to be in public domain because without which, you re- and, and they also not have to just, it ha- not just have to be in public domain, but they also need to engage with the local state, uh, state governments or the local municipalities. Otherwise, it's, it's not, not going to be, we're not going to be able to track and we will still be just talking about it from a very surface level. So if you really need to have change, everything has to be transparent. You know, the processes, the data, the systems, the governance mechanism, all this needs to come together. Otherwise, and the inclusion part, what we are saying is you might come out with EPR rules, but if base pickers are not included, how are you even going to meet your collection targets? So those are certain things that need to come together, I think transparency is a big one. It's a huge topic. Um, When we think political change, transparency is usually not even in the conversation. So when it comes to that, when when you're talking about how they can put in their data into this portal, I'm thinking, oh my God, nobody's keeping them accountable. Uh, They can make up the figures from the top of their head. Oh yeah, you know, it's less than last year, probably. Let's just put it less so it look better. And um, this is just, if we can't hold them accountable, how are we meant to know where we're going? And I guess that's to your point as well, the data management side of things. So you're wanting this trackable data. And I want you to expand on that a little bit further. So let's say we start with these producers that track all the waste and all the recycling coming in, what other data would you like tracked? So um, if I um, look at the rules, 
the uh, what the government has done is the government has um, uh, you know divided uh, the plastics into four categories and um, and they have so now what they are for whom they are holding accountable is producers importers brand owners uh, and manufacturers and uh, of plastic packaging and that is um, an important thing uh, because um, uh, and and they've also defined it by anybody with a trademark becomes responsible for what they produce and i think that is a huge plus uh, and then they have uh, uh, what you say they have created percentages which are which i think are a bit too ambitious but any which ways they have also categorized it into different categories so category 1 is like your uh, rigid plastic category 2 is your flexible plastic packaging of single layer or multi layer but with different types of plastic then you have category 3 which is multi layered plastic packaging which and then you have the category 4 which is like compostable plastic and, and the likes so that was the categorization of plastic then they have said that the epr guidelines will look at reuse recycle use of recycled plastic content and end of life disposal now um, so those four aspects now with the four aspects then they have specific targets for each of the category so for instance they have said if category 1 by 2024 25 uh, which is rigid plastic you have to ensure that the minimum level of recycling achieved excluding end of life disposal should be set at 50% if you are at um, flexible packaging it's 30% for 24 25 and by the end which is by 2027 28 onwards it should be 80% so they have set a a steady increase of 10% from 2024 25 to uh, uh, 27 28 now what they have also done which i find very interesting is they have created a formula of how they will account for how they have produced so just to give you an example now um, if it is an importer they say eligible quantity in metric tons shall be the average weight of all plastic packaging material import of imported and or plastic pa- uh, packaging of imported material products category wise imported and sold in the last financial year then they have um, you know then they add average quantity of pre consumer plastic packaging in the last two financial years and the and the minus whatever they have generated as waste and what is supplied to different entities so it's a it's like a huge formula which i'm happy to send it to you which i thought was an interesting uh, way to look at calculations because you're looking at based on your financial data and you're looking at what you have imported which means the data is already available at different with different entities it could be the customs it could be the excise it could be the income tax you know so that makes it a little bit interesting but like i said we have to see how it will phase out operationally so on paper it looks good but operationally that's the start yeah <laughs> and and now the portal is also on so but the portal again i checked it out today and there was not much information yet mm. so, oh, well, there is 
what what I'll get you to do is actually email me that that link to the formulas. Anyone who's actually interested in learning more about that, because it does sound quite fascinating uh, and something we can maybe learn to incorporate in different ways. Um, I'll leave it linked in the show notes if if anyone wants to go check that out. Um, there's so much so much we covered in this in this episode, and I'm I'm really surprised. Um, look, I had read your stuff and I knew that. You know, when but just when I pictured India, I didn't picture such a um, plastic conscious because I understand countries in Asia they don't have, or even in the South Pacific, closer to home to me, and even some rural parts of Australia don't have the facilities um, to handle waste at all. Um, and and the best part is actually how you guys have really taken the waste pickers and brought them into the conversation. So that's something that I find is incredible and something that should be adopted around the globe. So to round out the episode, I'd love to give you the stage, uh, Pinky, for one to two minutes to just share your words of wisdom. It could be about something we spoke about today or it could be something completely different and irrelevant. But one to two minutes, Pinky, the stage is all yours. Oh my God, you're putting me on the spot, yep. right? <laughs> Just any wisdom you have for us. One more nugget. Uh, okay. Okay, that's going to be tough in terms of wisdom. But... Um, Actually, gonna... you know what? I'm speaking to a poet. Can you, <laughs> yes, at the beginning... Is it at okay the beginning, to share a poem? <laughs> yes, let's do it. Share the poem. It's something a little bit different and I think we can all appreciate that. Okay, I'm just going to share with you why garbage speaks through me through poems first and then share you uh, share with you the poem. So I think garbage speaks to me uh, through, uh, through poems is because it allows me to reflect on not just what I buy, recycle or trash, but it also allows me to make sense of waste. It also, um, you know, allows me to understand why do we feel repulsed? Uh, because if you look at it, when you have kitchen waste and uh, it's in the bin and it's already rotting and um, there's a, a slight foul smell, you automatically feel very repulsed. Or why do we resist? I mean, why is it so hard to segregate waste? Is it because we're feeling repulsed? Uh, repulsed? Or why is my clean not your clean? So when you look at a dry waste collection center, you go in and be like, oh, my God, so dirty. But when I look at it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is so neatly organized because I've seen so many centers, so many collection centers in India. I think I have visited at least 18 different cities uh, looking at 18 to 24 different cities, looking at how their waste is organized. So for me, some places are clean, but for other people, it might not be clean. And then why is even though garbage is always in the news, why is it still cloaked in a layer of anonymity? And uh, why do we see what we want to see? So basically, it allows me to look at the city's landscape and our relationship that we have with waste and with people who work in waste. Because so that's uh, um, uh, this thing. I actually, okay, I had one poem which was on harsh reality. Um, Okay, I have this poem, Breaking Up with Plastic, and I think I will share this poem. So this is how it goes. I warned you. I'm demanding. I can complete you. I will make your life easier. I'll make your life simpler. I want you. I'm attractive. I'm an addiction. I will overpower you. I will give you instant gratification. You want me. 
Now I am a victim to your abuse. You are choking me and my relationships. I feel like I have cinder blocks, cinder blocks pulling me down. You warned me. You love to hurt me in subtle ways. You can never really go away, for you are in me and in all the things I eat, drink, play, turn on, sleep, and use. Oh, plastic! You were toxic yet so attractive. Oh, plastic! I underestimated you. You're keeping me hostage in the name of convenience. Your love is ruthless, but I'm done. This is it. I'm breaking free. In my own way, I'll go against the tide. One day at a time, one thing at a time. A bag, a cup, a bottle, a straw. Oh, plastic! I'm breaking free. That's it. <laughs> this is a poem that I had I that I had penned down in 2019. That's awesome. <laughs> Incredible. I love some good poetry. You know, it really, it's awesome. Firstly, poetry as a whole, that someone can express themselves in a way that feels true to them, but also in that way, it helps other people. They have all these emotions, especially tied to plastic. And when, when you realize how shocking it is to our bodies, to the environment, um, just for everything, you don't know how someone else can really express that. But hearing that, I think, could make some people feel not alone, um, knowing that other people, yes, they feel like this. It is. It's true. Like, it's so beautiful and it's in everything we use, but crap, it's killing us. Like, that kind of um, polarization, which is amazing. Um, So to round this out, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this conversation. Thank you for sharing your incredible poetry um and a very special thank you to actually going out there on the street rallying communities in sustainable action something that your cleaning up could have saved countless animals lives the fact that you help puppies get adopted is absolutely incredible and super compassionate so Um, There's so many pieces of the environment and different creatures that thank you for the work that you do. And it's really awesome to see people like yourself on the front line, really making that positive change and then coming on and again, sharing your incredible wisdom. Thank you so much, Pinky, for your time today. Thank you very much, Tom. Hi there. Welcome to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening and or watching the whole way through. I hope you enjoyed it and took a few things out of it. Uh, I know I definitely did. Thank you to Pinky for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your beautiful poetry there at the end. For anyone looking to connect with her, I've left all the links to do so in the show notes below. With all that being said, I hope you all have a great week and I'll see you on the next episode. Stay happy, eat plants, peace.